Open source is amazing for the community and the developers and the end users, but it's also a really good business model, right? Like WordPress and Automatic is an amazing business. And there's a lot of different examples of it in different industries where you have this open source tool that you can use however you want. And then there's the hosted version or the managed version. It creates a lot of like community-based accountability, which I think is the, the most positive thing. Today, we have another great episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This is episode 606, where I sit down with the founder of Castos, Craig Hewitt. He and I talk through podcasting. We talk about all the acquisitions that have been happening, podcast analytics, Apple versus Spotify. Then we switch it up and we talk about staying up to speed when you're no longer doing a task day-to-day as your company scales. And we talk about keeping everyone on the same page as you grow because Castos is now 13 team members. And obviously the challenges you face as a single founder are very different than what you face when you're one of 13 people and you're just trying to keep the ship heading in the right direction. Before we dive into that, our next round of MicroConf local events are scheduled for this summer. We have MicroConf local in Chicago on June 21st and MicroConf local in Denver on June 23rd. If you want to meet local bootstrappers in your hometown or want to make a short trip to join us, head over to microconf.com slash locals to pick up your ticket. Remember that the MicroConf locals are inexpensive and it's just a few hours in the afternoon. So it's a great way to dip your toe into the waters of MicroConf. And currently I plan to be at both the Chicago and the Denver event. So if you can make it, it'll be great to see you there. And with that, let's dive into my conversation. It's not an interview. It really is just a back and forth conversation about a bunch of topics. And I always enjoy getting Craig Hewitt back on the podcast. So with that, let's dive into my conversation. Craig Hewitt, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Been a while. Yeah, I know. Well, just a what? Three, four months? I think you came yeah. on for a Where Are They Now? Tiny Seed Tales Season 1 episode. Sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. That was a fun one. So folks will remember you, obviously, from Tiny Seed Tales. You're the founder of Castos, which is public and private podcast hosting. Uh, in fact, it's what this very podcast is hosted on, as well as our microcom podcast and Tiny Seed Tales itself. And I was pleasantly surprised earlier today. I wanted to install Chartable's, what is it? It's not download tracking, but it's like listener tracking, right? I guess it is download tracking, technical. Yep. And I was thinking, and I, we already have the Casto stats, but I like having, I think podcast stats are completely broken across most of the world because I'll look <laughs> at one provider who we used to use and it had, you know, XD thousands, tens of thousands, and I go to a different one and it's like a third of that number. And I'm like, well, what, what how can it be so, if it was 10%, 20%, I could live with it. But so I was like, you know what, it'd be great to have a second provider. And um, I already used Chartable for some other stuff. So I was thinking, this is going to be kind of a mess. You know, like there's like a prefix and I'm thinking, am I going to have to hire a WordPress developer to hack some HTML or, or RSS? <laughs> and you know where I'm headed. Yeah, yeah. I just went to Google. I type in Castos and Chartable. And it was like, grab this little URL from them and paste it in your seriously simple podcasting thing. And it just worked, man. It was so cool. Yeah, I mean, they, they've both Chartable and PodTrack, the formerly independent podcast analytics platforms, both acquired by Spotify a few months ago. Both of them. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, both of them. So that is the uh, that is one of the hotness topics in, in our industry lately is like, 
hey, these independent, you know, third-party platforms are not independent and third-party anymore. And what does that mean? So, yeah, drama. What does that mean? Like, I, you know, I know there's the purists. There are purists who say things like there shouldn't be billionaires in the world or people who are really religiously like indie software companies only. And when you get big and get bought, you sold out. You know, there, there's, there's, I think, folks who maybe think too black and white about it. But like beyond that, maybe the like a zealot's take of whether these folks should be independent or not, what are the pros and cons of, of both of them being acquired by Spotify? I think the, the downside that I hear a lot is like, obviously Spotify will take that data and do, do things with it that they wouldn't have had, had access to otherwise about your podcast and your audience. How bad that is, I, I don't really know. Like, I think a lot of the, you know, decentralized DeFi crypto folks are, are up in arms about it. And Spotify itself is is very much the closed garden kind of provider in our ecosystem, as opposed to, you know, Apple and Amazon Music and all these that that operate off like open RSS. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a super strong opinion. I think that it provides an opportunity for another player to come in and do the same thing that they did before, open source it maybe and things like that. I think that that could be pretty cool because, yeah, podcast analytics are super tough just by the nature of the distributed system. Spotify has a, a different way that they approach it because they're not an open system. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's funny, I'm not like an open purist, like oh, that open source software should be everything or that crypto and DeFi, obviously I own some crypto, but I'm not necessarily in that camp. It's just like, okay, cool. Whatever works. I think let's have a competitive space. And if the open source software is free and the best, like WordPress, for example, which I use on Startups for the Rest of Us and robwalling.com, or if Squarespace and Wix and these other, if they're better, if you're willing to pay 15 bucks a month and not have to deal with, you know, the conflicts and constantly upgrading. I think I have like 20 plugin updates that I need to run on these sites, which is the the free like a puppy aspect of of them. So I like to see it competed out and for there to be more more choice. However, one big hang up I have is with Spotify buying these podcasts, like all the Gimlet stuff now, I just don't listen to it anymore. Anything that's Spotify exclusive, even though I have a Spotify, like we have the five account family plan. I have Spotify in my car. It has an app. I have it on my phone with me. I listen to it constantly. I was just listening to it right before this. And yet the moment that they walled off podcasts somehow for me was almost like offensive. And I don't know if it's just because it's it's because I'm what I'm used to, you know, of like podcasts should be open there like email and HTTP or if if it's, you know, because I'm a podcaster or if it's just annoying that something that was once open, I was going to say and free, but it's still free in essence, I guess, with my, you know, my account. But what, something that was once open is no longer yeah, I mean, per- personally, like we we operate a lot in like the open podcast ecosystem and in the WordPress ecosystem via our, our plugin there. And I'm just a big believer in it. Like I, I didn't come from a technical background, but open source is amazing. And, and open source is amazing for the community and the developers and the end users. But it's also a really good business model, right? Like WordPress and Automatic is an amazing business. And there's a lot of different examples of it in different industries where you have this open source tool that you can use however you want. And then there's the hosted version or the managed version, you know, Ghost, another popular example, right? Like fantastic CMS, it's free. You can go install it on your DigitalOcean droplet, or you can pay them the 10 or 15 bucks a month to host it for you. Yeah, I think it's great. It creates a lot of like community-based accountability, which I think is the, the most positive thing that like, it could be painful to make a lot of decisions, I think. Like if you get into the, the politics of open source, it gets messy pretty quick. But I think overall, it's a, a really good thing for these bigger projects. 
So I didn't plan to ask you this when we started recording, but I'm realizing we just touched on podcast analytics and you said they're difficult because of the distributed nature or something. Why are they so hard? Why, why do I go into, if I log into three different analytics platforms, we used to use Blueberry, we use Castos now, I'm looking at putting Chartable on because I, it's free and I already have it. I, I bet I'll see a swing of 50 to 100% in terms of download numbers. Now, I know... Estimating subscribers, I'm not even going to go there because that's just an estimate, right? I know that it's just raw file downloads is what you can track and see. But as a, like a former developer, it seems like if it's a partial download, like at a certain point, you just don't count it if it's only 10%, 20%, 30%. But at a certain point, you do if it's 60 or 70% downloaded. I don't know. There's probably a number. And then everything else, you just look at the number of downloads. Why isn't, why isn't it just that simple? Uh, well, I think there's two things. Like one is it should be relatively that simple. Like there are a lot of subjective decisions that that we make when engineering it around like multiple downloads from the same IP address and how many do you count as one listen and things like that. So, so there's some subjective decisions we make, but there's some guidance in the industry around how we should handle that. And we do benchmark our analytics versus pod track and it should be the same with Chartable and it's 10%, 15% off. So if you see a bigger difference than that when you install it, I'd be pretty surprised. But yeah, it is all that kind of bots and crawlers and artificial traffic that hit your RSS feed, especially depending on if it's on WordPress or on Castos, there's different tra traffic patterns in those two places. And so I think we have a unique challenge to solve in that respect. But I mean, I think the bigger challenge, if you look at podcast analytics versus like web analytics and Google analytics or Fathom or whatever, is like we only have visibility to the file until it's downloaded. And so people want to know like, hey, can I get like demographic information about my listeners? Can I see when they listened and for how long and things like that? And the answer is mostly no, because like the file leaves our platform and it's just gone. And like it's on Pocket Casts on your phone and you don't know, like we don't know when you listen to it. And I think that's the, that's the kind of closed loop that a lot of people are looking for. And going back to Spotify, that's where they really rock is like they kind of control the whole stack, right? From creator advertising they're the advertiser and they have like a, a closed relationship with the listener okay so that so that's good to know about the 10 percent difference because i will take a peek at that and see castle sources um chartable once i have enough data with spotify do their downloads of startups for the rest of us would they show up in chartable or in Castos, or do they just down because the startups for the rest of us is on spotify right it's also available everywhere else do they basically just download it once and then they now distribute it. So if there's a thousand people listening on Spotify and 20,000 listening everywhere else, it's only going to show 20,001 downloads? From our platform, yes. And it's because Spotify is the only platform that does exactly what you said, is takes the file from Castos, stores it on there and re-encodes it differently, and then distributes it from their system to, to their listeners. We have the option to not do that and have it be a pass-through kind of relationship like every other platform, but it re would require us to re-encode the file that you upload to our system a certain way. And we don't want to do that because we think that the file you upload is the one that your audience should hear. And so Spotify says, hey, if you're going to have a pass-through relationship with us, the file has to be this way and this way and this way. And we say we don't want to have to do that for our customers that you spend so much time creating this audio and we want you to to be able to deliver that file to your audience. So yeah, pod track and chartable should basically not track 
Spotify listens. And that's why you log into like your Castos account if you directly submitted through us or if you just submitted through like the Spotify podcast portal, they have a lot of analytics there. And just like Apple, a lot more in-depth analytics than, than we have access to. Right. Like probably, I have not logged in. I probably need to, but because I haven't been counting those download numbers. And now I'm realizing I need to add them together. And I know in Castos, you have a tab where if you connect it through your Castos account, you can then flip between the two tabs. It's the Castos downloads and the Spotify numbers where I assume you're pulling it in from an API or something. Yeah. And depending on your audience and where you're located geographically, that could be 20 to 40% of your total audience is on Spotify. Is that much? Yeah. Depend, you know, internationally, it's more younger generation. It's more, but yeah, that's something like that industry-wide. Before Tiny Seed, after I left Drip, I had this idea that I wanted to make podcast analytics better and not do it on the server side, but basically go and acquire all of the client side apps that I could, like raise a fund and buy up anybody that would sell. Because then you'd have actual, you'd have real data, right? If you combined Downcast with Overcast, with Pocketcast, with, you know, obviously you're not going to get Apple Podcasts, but if you bought five of them or 10 of them or whatever and had hundreds of thousands of users, at least you could kind of extrapolate. And it was right around that time that Apple launched their analytics, you know, the, their crappy analytics where you can log in as it's that podcast dashboard. And they started giving that information. I find that information not very accurate. It's just way different than like the Castos numbers, for example, or and the Blueberry, you know, numbers that we had. But have you found that Apple numbers? Because they actually tried to give you like how far people listen in and how many people there are because they do have that client, right? It used to be iTunes, now it's Apple Podcasts. What's the consensus or is there consensus around Apple's numbers? I think the consensus like really broadly is it's like a helpful indicator, like it's a directionality kind of level thing. But basing a bunch of your content decisions on that is probably not helpful. Is, is what I hear. Like, yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, your idea and your kind of hypothesis of that is right, is like being able to access the end listener kind of behavior would be really helpful, especially for advertising, right? Because they want to know about impressions and that's what it is. Yeah, I know that a lot of podcasting apps are quite privacy focused. And I think unless you bought them, you would have a hard time getting that data back uh, from them. But yeah, I think the I think the hypothesis is good. And and I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about like Apple versus Spotify in this respect is like Apple is not incentivized at all to give you any of that data. Spotify more so because they're monetizing that traffic. So I think that's the big difference. Yeah, it's such a trip. Yep. So it's still early in podcasting, I think. I guess you have a whole company based on it, so you probably so. share that. <laughs> That's what we're betting on. It just feels like it's going to be built into all the cars, all the places. Airplanes, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be done there. Our sponsor this week is Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Microsoft for Startups is on a mission to help all founders innovate and grow no matter their background, location, or progress. To this end, they've recently launched Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub, a platform that provides founders with free resources to help solve startup challenges. Members of the platform get a ton of benefits that can help founders build their startup faster from day one. 
up to $150,000 in Azure credits, free development tools like GitHub, free Microsoft collaboration and productivity software like Teams and Outlook, offers from startup-friendly partners, and more. A strong and diverse network is critical to a startup's success, and so Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is making this historically inaccessible resource open to all by providing members access to a mentor network as well as technical advisors. Members can book time with mentors to get expert feedback and advice on their product roadmap, business plan, fundraising approach, marketing plan, and more. The program is open to everyone, no matter your startup stage. And unlike other programs, there are no funding requirements. And the sign-up process takes less than five minutes. Learn more about Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub at aka.ms slash startups for the rest of us. That's aka.ms slash startups for the rest of us. So let's switch it up and talk about a topic that you actually brought up uh, before we recorded where you brought up how do you stay fresh with the latest hotness when you're not so close to the action anymore, right? And so this could be someone like myself who's no longer a founder of a SaaS company, still a founder of some other things, but or it could be you who used to nuts and bolts, get in, do the blocking and tackling, and now, what, do you have 20 people working for you? Yeah, we're 13, yeah. 13, sorry. Yeah. Why did I think you had 20? Approaching 20. <laughs> I, I think I live in the future. <laughs> I think, so I know that you're probably not still writing nitpicky marketing copy or ad copy somewhere because at 13, you know, that's just not the right thing for you to be doing. So what are your what are your thoughts here? How do you stay close enough to the metal that you feel like you're able to strategize and that you're not missing things because you're not in it? Yeah, I think that where we are is particularly challenging in this respect. And and I think that's why I wanted to talk about it, because I'm sure you can relate as we're at the size where I don't do a lot of real implementer level stuff, but we're not 20 people uh, to, to where we have real like director owner level folks in every group of the company to where I don't have to to really get into the weeds there. And so I do find myself, especially like sales and marketing on sales calls and writing some marketing copy. Not not as much certainly as I used to, but I, I do some of those things and answering support tickets every once in a while. And I I find it I find it challenging both in the, the context of of what I asked or like wanted to talk about in the question is just like how do you stay up with the latest marketing trends or sales pricing models and how to freaking run HubSpot and stuff like that. But but also just like the other side of that is like how do you not do a lot of that? And be able to take a step back and above and think strategically about the business and and kind of be a CEO. I think what I've found, and this is interesting coming from a person that runs a podcasting company, is is I read and listen to a lot more books now instead of podcasts um, because I find that the the kind of temporal nature of podcasts makes them more trendy than the, to me, like a book is more kind of evergreen. And so I can kind of take the lessons away and abstract the lessons away from a book and implement them kind of how I want and where and when in the business, whereas podcasts seem to be really super specific and sometimes just very timely or or not timely. And so that's one thing. And then I, I think the other part is just like working with the people in our company that are doing the sales or doing the marketing or doing the support, doing the product stuff, and just learning from them and trying to stay stay up to speed with what's going on and what they think are the best examples and them pointing out UI patterns that we want to kind of emulate and stuff like that. 
And I think in the end of the day, when I put my good founder hat on, it's, gosh, goes all the way back to like hiring the best people who are able to bring me along in that journey through this kind of valley of, I, I call it like half pregnancy, because we're like half the time I'm a real CEO and half the time I'm in the weeds or, or some period of time I'm, I'm in the weeds and half half I'm a real CEO. And just the, the folks on our team were able to help me stay fresh with what's going on and help them make good decisions. And, and the other part, just really be a leader. Yeah. As you were talking, I think the thing that resonated most was about hiring the right people who can bring you along. And I even think at a certain level, you know, imagine if you had 100 employees or 500 employees, you cannot stay up on sales and design patterns and code and, you know, any of the other stuff. And that's where you were saying, you know, having directors or VPs who can stay up to speed on things. So I think it's a temporary, mostly a temporary thing, because when you hit a certain size, you being Castos, like again, 20, 30, 40 people, I do think that you will stop wanting or needing to be up to speed. You just need good people who are up to speed. You know, you need your implementers, your individual contributors, your designers to know design really well. And for them to hire those people who are inspired and think about it in their spare time. Like when I was a developer, I used to bring books about software development to the beach. It was the nerdiest thing ever, but I was that person. And it made me pretty good at my job because I was thinking about it a lot and I enjoyed it. And I worked with people at at Drip, some of whom is cool. They clocked in 40 hours a week and they went home and didn't think about it. And that was fine. And they were, and they were good folks who, who delivered. And then there were just those people who went the extra mile and they thought about product management over the weekend. And they, you know, they, it's just a different, I'm not saying better or worse, but those are the, you do need some of those people because then they bring it back to the rest of the team. That's what I would see is they were the ones listening to the podcast, reading the books, and then they'd bring back a new idea and be like, hey, so there's kind of this new innovation. It's called flat web design. It's called drop shot or whatever, you know? And then we'd get to debate it, but at least someone was bringing that in into the team. And I think that's maybe what you mean by those folks who bring you along. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like those are the folks who are going to bring these ideas to us and say, hey, we should do flat design or we should do integration marketing or we should do whatever. And it's my job to, to one, like trust them that they, you know, have our best interest at heart, I've communicated like the vision of where we want to go. And so this idea they have is, you know, they think it's going to get us there. Um, and then kind of just gut check that with kind of what I know of, of things. Th is that how it is for you? Like, I'm curious for you, like with tiny seed, it's just at a different level. Yeah. But it's the same thing, right? Like I'll give you an example with this podcast, um, I hired an assistant producer a couple years ago and he worked, did a bunch of good work for us over the past few years. And then he moved on and I brought it, we brought in a full-time person now who helps, helps with all aspects of it. But he used to bring suggestions because he would watch other shows, listen to other podcasts. And he was the one who said, you know, you're not really even sharing a tweet of the, of the episodes. And so we started, I was like, that's fine. It's pretty low, a low lift, right? A light lift to do that. Then he said, well, what if we started doing audiograms? And I'm like, I, what are those, right? I mean, this is a few years ago. So, it's, <laughs> you know, you, you get out of touch with stuff. But he was my guy who was thinking about that stuff. And then he said, well, can you record video? Because I want to start doing short video clips and put them on social. And that one, I was like, ugh, I mean, I don't, it's a hassle, like recording video, and then we're going to have to edit it, and then we have to tweet it. And so I said, you know, here's how we made the decision is I said, let's experiment for one month. So you're going to do four of these. And then let's see the time difference between that and an audiogram. And let's see the views or the engagement difference. And as it turns out, it was like two to three X more engagement 
with a video. So that's how I view it is like, and Tracy brings stuff to us all the time, right? Of like, oh, I want to try this new thing with the blog. And it's like, cool, let's do an experiment over a short period of time, a month or a quarter. And let's track how, how much mentally do I ballpark do I think this is going to cost us in time or money? And then like, what's the odds that it'll succeed? Is it even reason? If it's a 2% chance of succeeding, then it's like, no, if, if I gauge it, you know, deem it a 2% or we agree it's a low. But if it's like, you know, it's probably got a 25 to 50% chance, like that's a, to me, that's a pretty good bet to get another thousand eyeballs, right? Or another 2000 views. Yeah. And I think like, podcasting with with Andy Baldacci for for our show the thing I know he would add is like you have to consider the outcome of that too right because it's not binary it's not just will this work or not but if it works will the outcome be so much more that it's it's worth the risk so I would just add like that I know that's the thing he would say right now because he always beats me over the head about it yeah and, and like the thing that like I think this is I'm sure that our team has a drinking game for me around this, but like this is where we've implemented OKRs in our business in the last six months. And this is where this really just like puts all of that stuff in a good lens that is visible across like all groups in the company and for me. And and like we're able to really sit down and like make those strategic decisions. And then like the implementation of it, like you're saying, it's their ideas that come and we figure out how we're going to reach these goals. And on a quarterly basis, that's kind of the rotation. So it's been it's been helpful for us. I can imagine. For me, staying fresh, like you already answered it for yourself, but for me, it is a lot of podcasts and books. And I've, I view my mental model as like books are, like you said, more evergreen, they're more strategic long-term. There are some tactical books, but I actually don't tend to read those anymore. I mean, I used to literally read eBooks on like how to run Facebook ads when I was running, but it's like, I just can't, like, I'm not going to get in the weeds because that's going to change in the next six months. And I know that I can go hire somebody who can do it way better than I could learn these days. But I do listen to podcasts still. I struggle with interview podcasts, even though, you know, I, I like try to make this show less about interviews, more about conversations. But, but I have heard some pretty interesting conversations around like new tactics that are coming up. Like there was someone talking about TikTok marketing for business the other day. And it's like, as much as I don't care about this, <laughs> like in depth, like I don't, I don't care about the TikTok aspect. I do care that it's a new thing and should it be on my radar? And so I view podcasts for me, A, as as fun, which most of my podcast consumption is not around work, but the chunk that is around work, the 20% to 30% that's around business, I'm either keeping up with folks like you on the Seeking Scale podcast, or you and Dave on Rogue Startups, or Brian and Jordan on Bootstrap Web, or I am listening to these shows that are like throwing out the tidbits, you know, the, hey, this is how someone's doing TikTok or this, like Facebook ads are now really different and they're a lot more expensive. And so I can kind of put that in the back of my mind of like, oh, okay, maybe the, I'm going to check that with a couple people, but is that the way this is moving now? You know, and it, it, it's like information gathering for me and just keeping aware, trying to keep aware of the, the broader picture. I would also say for me, it's a lot of conversations with founders like Tiny Seed and even MicroConf founders. That's the other way that I keep up on something is someone discovers something, post it in the Slack, or they ping me of like, hey, there's this thing that's working for us. And now I'm like, mental note, A, that that's happening, and B, that that person is now a resource. Because if someone just got, if someone just got LinkedIn ads to work, and then you ping me in two weeks and say, hey, do you know anybody with LinkedIn ads? Or do you know how to run LinkedIn ads? I would say, I don't. But that founder does, you know, and that's the other thing is where I was saying earlier, like, I'm not sure that we have to, ma you know, maintain expertise in these things. And you don't if you have like a really strong network. And, and you and I are in some Slack groups where the network is strong. And if you had a question of like, hey, I do want, I do want to run LinkedIn ads, you would just 
ask. You'd ask in the tiny seed Slack, you'd ask in the other founder Slacks that we share, right? That's probably the first place you'd go and be like, who's run LinkedIn ads or who is paying someone to run LinkedIn ads? And people would weigh in and that's your shortcut. Like the network is a shortcut to probably a better answer, certainly a better answer than like Googling it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of thoughts. Sorry, I I turned that into a solo podcast there for a minute. In the early days, I mean, I talk about, you know, building a product, building a business, and then building a company, like three phases, right? And I haven't gone super in-depth into, like, the specifics of exactly when that happens, but building that product is just that early scrappy days and you launch. And if you, until you have at least, I'd say 10K a month in revenue, you're still a product and you're just trying to find product market fit. And then at a certain point, it becomes a business in the sense of you have profit and loss and you just have to start thinking about it as this is a something beyond just a hobby project, you know, or something beyond some code I threw up on the weekend. And then company building is obviously, that's, I think, where you're at. That's when you start thinking about hiring managers and you implement things like OKRs or rocks. And you would never, I mean, OKRs and rocks when it was two of you, you know, and you were at 8K a month or whatever, you just, you're, Silly. Yeah. yeah, it's way over, over processed, right? Over engineered. And so I think that leads me into my question is I've heard you talking a lot about rocks and OKRs on Seeking Scale with Andy and so much, in fact, that I think I need to research it more because I feel like it for me, it's like it doesn't fit my style of work. I'm not a process person, right? I mean, you know, Tracy, who runs Tiny C Program Director, and she is very much into process. And that's why she's here because Anar and I are not, right? And so... OKRs and rocks, which for folks who are uninitiated, it's like setting, what is it, monthly or quarterly goals, your annual goals, and then they all roll up to something or they don't or whatever. But I guess what has been your inspiration for pursuing these? Like, is it that it fits with your mental model or is it that you got to a certain point and you're like, oh, we need something better than what we're doing now because it feels like we're maybe getting a little out of control. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the like an answer to that is we, we've done rocks and now we're doing OKRs and they're very similar. This for the size company we are, I think the difference being that OKRs can scale a lot more because they can go like company level and group level and individual level. If you would want where rocks are just like a single set that kind of is company and like division level, maybe they're both set quarterly. And the nice thing about them for me and the reason we really like them is, one, it makes you and now for us, like our kind of team leads once a quarter say, like, what the heck are we doing? You know, what what's important to us from where we are right now to 90 days from now? And how does that relate to like our annual or two or five year goal? And then it is how we start all of our kind of group meetings each week, right? We say, hey, let's open the OKR you know, scorecard that we keep and see how we're doing. And that is the, in, in the rocks world, those are like the issues that come up. Like, hey, we have a roadblock here. We have a thing that, you know, development's behind here. Our marketing is slacking on leads. Why is that? Let's talk about that and see how we can unblock ourselves and, and work towards achieving these goals. I think longer term, the vision is that I will kind of, you know, again, like move one step up in that like goal setting stratosphere. And then like the leads of each group will set and run and report on those OKRs without me. And I think that's where OKR is really powerful is it is a tool to give them like the permission to focus on just a couple of things in a quarter, because what we find is just like, 
I mean, we're, we're still like st super startup mode. It's like, we just want to do a thousand things. <laughs> and if you do a thousand things, you're going to fail. And so we do two or three things in a quarter and we want to do them really well. And we set really ambitious goals and we grade ourselves against those goals every week. And to where if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to start running LinkedIn ads and we decided we're going to only run AdWords this quarter, we get to say no, like unless there's a really super compelling reason why we have to do it. And that has happened. But the answer is just no, like this is our world for the next 90 days. And let's focus on this and do it really well. I think it just helps everyone focus during that quarter and then leading up to that quarter when we're making those rocks or OKRs in our case, it's almost like the little founder retreat, right? You get to say, hey, what's important to me? and our group uh, and the company in, in the next 90 days with the lens of, hey, in two years, we want to get to this point. Yeah, I think if you're less than five people, it doesn't really make sense. Um, where we are, makes a, it makes really good sense. Um, and as we grow, it'll just be even more important. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of how I think about mission, vision, values, where it's like at five people, if you've come across it organically, great. But if not, I wouldn't force it. But right around that 10 to 15 mark, it's like if you don't implement something, it will implement itself. If you don't create a company culture, one will be created for you and you may not like it, right? You may not, they may not have the beliefs and be in line with the mission that you actually want to achieve. Because I'm guessing the mission of Castos is not to serve podcast files to, you know, pod players. It's like, there's something, there's a higher level thing of like to bring audio to everyone, right. Or to democratize, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know if you're public about it or if you even have, you know, have a mission that you've thought through yet. Yeah, we do. It's right on our website, tempo.castos.com. Everything about it's right there. Yeah. This is, wow. This is really well done, man. You have a whole content guide, but yeah, it says our mission, build the most powerful platform to help creators create great content and connect with their audience. That's pretty cool. And so if someone joins and you have, how do we accomplish this? And you have our purpose, our, our vision, our values. So if someone's evaluating Castos as a potential employer, basically, if you have a job wreck out, then they can look at these things and think to themselves, is this what I want to do? Right? Is this fit? Yeah. And I think as, as companies get larger and become more successful, I think that stuff is just so much more important, right? Like everyone wants to go work at Stripe because they know what they're all about. And we try really hard to be that that darling, especially these days, right? With as competitive as the job market is, we are selling ourselves to candidates more than they're selling to us, I think. Well, man, thanks for taking a few minutes to come back on the pod. It was great chatting. It's awesome. Thank you. If folks want to keep up with you, obviously you are the Craig Hewitt on Twitter, where you retweet extensively. I went looking through your feed and I was like, he has a lot of retweets. <laughs> That's what I used to do when I was like a little busy. When I'm too busy to Twitter, I actually retweet other people. And uh, of course, castos.com if they want to check out awesome podcast hosting for both private and public podcasts. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, whether you've been listening for six or 600. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me again this week and I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning.